You are listening to TMB DOS. They must be destroyed on site. The following podcast may contain adult language, conversations surrounding adult situations that may not be suitable for younger listeners, as well as spoilers for the films discussed on this podcast. You have been warned. Now, come on in. Episode 111 of They Must Be Destroyed on Sight. I'm your host, Lee. You can't break out of prison and into society in the same week, Russell. And I'm joined by my co-host, Daniel. My friends just call me Ringo Harper. How you doing, sir? <laughs> I wish I had a fun John Wayne joke to go with here, but uh, apparently not. So, uh, <laughs> so fine. Thanks. I got a little bit of uh, dust in my teeth, and mm-hmm. I don't want to go back to the pen. But uh, otherwise, I'm doing okay, because I've got a nice hook over the heart of gold. Yeah. To, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna get to stick with for the rest of my life. A little farm just over the border. Just over the border, yep. Yep. So uh we're gonna be looking at the John Ford slash John Wayne classic stagecoach from nineteen thirty-nine. But before we get into that, we do have some comments to get through. Uh quickly go to these. Uh one from our friend Mike Murphy from Badass's Boobs and Body Counts podcast said, Good episode, guys, in uh regards to our High Noon, Three Tinted Yuma episode. I, I knew I'd enjoy it the second you came out of the gate complaining about podcast ads and ad whores. Regarding Sherry's Berries, while I'd never go to my way to buy them, we did just receive a box as a Christmas gift. I have to say, they're pretty fucking good. He says, keep up the good work and look forward to chatting with you both in February. Yeah, We're, we are going to be, uh, Daniel and I are both going to be guests on Badasses, Boobs, and Body Counts in February. We're going to be talking about the Zodiac Killer. And if his two co-hosts are also on that podcast, uh, Iris and Mark, that's going to be a very, very crowded <laughs> episode, I think. <laughs> That's going to be a fun time, I think. Mm-hmm. And we have Jeff Williams left a couple comments here. Um, in regards to our High Noon 310 to Yuma episode, he said, Solid job reviewing these classic films. You guys have done the impossible and convinced me to give that High Noon song another chance. Still, it ain't no Frankie Lane number, that's for sure. On the flip side, I love the theme to Kiyoma, which everyone else seems to abhor. Different strokes. Um, I like the the theme song for Kiyoma, and that's something we will be covering the next time we do Spaghetti Westerns. But uh, And Kiyoma might have the distinction of probably being the most unique theme song for not only just a Spaghetti Western, but for Westerns in general. It's it's something to behold. I don't think I've heard that one, so I'm looking yeah. forward to it. Now I'm going to have to look it up before we do the episode, maybe. Huh. And he says, all the Katie uh, Harado love brought to mind my underappreciated Western Dragoon Wells Massacre, wherein Katie gets in a full-on catfight with tight-assed gringa uh, Mona Freeman and then steals her ex, Dennis O'Keefe. Go, Katie. Ah, we're going to put that on the list, Dragoon Wells Massacre. Yeah, no, looking her up, uh, I mean, she had a an extended career. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, you know, it's it's one of those things where you find a lot of these, uh, particularly actresses, particularly actresses of color, they did like two movies. But uh, Kitty Harado, I mean, she was she was around for like 20, 30 years. She's actually in uh, Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid. Yeah, actually, like you said, you know, basically for for thirty years, she had she had an ascended ascended career, and uh, you gotta you gotta love that. You, you really gotta yeah. kind of uh, appreciate. You know, she wasn't just a pretty face. Which obviously, if you've seen High Noon, you know you know she, she definitely was as well, face, right? Yeah, <laughs> uh, but she wasn't. Uh, she was that, but she wasn't just that, you know. And uh, certain, mm-hmm. you know, I, I definitely want to see more of her stuff. Yeah. Jeff Williams also goes on to say, in regards to Stagecoach, he says, easily my favorite Ford Western. Claire Trevor is one of the few actresses with whom Wayne appeared comfortable, and they did like, um, I think they did three other films together after Stagecoach, I believe. I, I don't know them offhand, but I know they did do a couple other uh, westerns together. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Um, yeah, she's also in uh, Murder My Sweet, which I watched uh, last year. Uh, okay, that was, the, um, that was one of the uh, Chandler adaptations. Oh yeah, yeah okay, yeah yeah. And I remember her being quite good in that as well. Um, she's also in Key Largo, which is uh, a great little uh, noir film, kind of a minor noir film, but it's a it's a bogey. You know, kind of one of those like kind of old school bogey films. Thanks for the comments, guys. Very much appreciated. And if you so desire, listener, to leave comments, just go to our Facebook page. It must be destroyed on site on Facebook. Single best way to get in contact with us and find out what's going on for the podcast in the future. So uh, do that up. We'll move on now to stuff we've watched in the last little while. I know Daniel doesn't have anything right now, although you are going to be going to watch uh, The Last Jedi here soon. Yeah. The plan is to see The Last Jedi uh, right around, we're recording this, uh, the 23rd, the evening of the 23rd. So uh, Mm -hmm. tomorrow or or Monday we'll be seeing uh, The Last Jedi. So hopefully I'll have uh, thoughts about that uh, before then. Uh, But other than that, I really haven't uh, watched a whole lot. Um, Oh, I did uh, rewatch Fight Club. uh, Oh, yeah? Because it was on, um, and uh, that's a film that, I don't know, I have a complicated history with. Maybe we'll have to discuss it in detail at some point. But I did rewatch it, and man, that's a film that has kind of grown on me over the last two decades. <laughs> Let's just put it that yeah. way. Um, it, it, it seems prescient in ways that um, it maybe didn't at the time. Like, I think it, I think it gets, you know, the fanboys, I kind of hate the fanboys because they don't necessarily get it. But that's a film that also, uh, I think, was after different game than I think we thought it was in 99, you know, in terms of the kind of cult mentality and the formation of that. I mean, you know, it's kind of seen as this kind of fairly straightforwardly sort of anti-capitalist, anti-corporate kind of film. Right. And, I mean, and it's not that it isn't that, but it's, it's got some, some other stuff kind of going on. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's interesting. I don't know, one day I hope we, we do get to chat about it in some detail. Yeah. We should do fight club at some point. I, I, I totally agree. It'll be fun. A couple things I watched that I want to mention, and both of these potentially going to be on my best of list uh, at the end of the year, too. So, uh, And we'll be doing that sometime in January. We'll be doing our, our best of 2017. And, of course, that is the best stuff we saw for the first time in 2017, not necessarily just movies from 2017. Yeah. So if you've been following the podcast, you know that's how we sort of roll with this stuff. I watched two films, but and both of these are from 2017, though. So... Uh, <laughs> first one is a Netflix film. It's a uh, prison drama slash crime drama called Shot Caller that just, just showed up uh, on Netflix. It really took me by surprise. I was really impressed with how good it was. I think it's probably one of the best uh, Netflix sort of produced films that's uh, come out. Um, I think it's a Netflix one, if I'm not mistaken. I, I think it is. Uh, either way, 
it, it is sort of a prison film. And then, so you, you meet your main character, who's this guy who's been a hardened criminal in prison for several years now. He's, you know, he's joined up with the Aryan Brotherhood in the prison. He's got the white pride tattoo on his back and all that stuff. And you kind of know, you kind of think you know where this stuff's going because uh, you basically follow him on his first day out of prison and you kind of think, okay, I, I know what's going on. I have my suspicions of what's going on because you just know the tropes of the genre. But this film actually sort of twists and turns several times, and I was really appreciative of how it does it. What you initially think this character is and what he's about is not that at all. It's kind of a redemption story, but it's done in a much different way than you would expect. That's all I'm going to say because I really don't want to spoil it. I really, really enjoyed it. It sort of takes the crime drama and the sort of prison film thing and kind of messes with the genre quite a bit. It, it kind of destroys all your expectations of what the ending is going to be. So uh, I was pleasantly surprised by that one. The other one I watched, and this is one that's sort of pertinent to the little Western series we're doing right now. It's called The Ballad of Lefty Brown. Uh, it's starring Bill Paxton, and he's playing one of these characters like Buck from Stagecoach or mm-hmm. um, one of Walter Brennan's characters in, in some of those John Wayne films you know, of the the old coot sidekick or the, the, the sort of offbeat character with the weird voice who uh, follows the hero around and, you know, has always got his gun to give to the hero or is always taking the hero's bags and carrying them behind him and shit like that, right? Well, we got to watch out for them Apaches there. Exactly. He even, Bill Bill Paxton even, um, or Bill Pullman, Bill Paxton. Jesus. <laughs> I'm like, was this shot a few years ago? Because, you know. There it goes again. Uh, Bill Pullman. Bill, the Bill Pullman, Bill Paxton thing. Yeah, yeah. okay. No, Bill Pullman. Yeah. Fucking, um, he even puts sort of that kind of inflection in his voice a little bit, right? Yeah, um, yeah. He's, he's obviously studied all these sort of sidekick characters. And this is essentially uh, what happens if the sidekick character loses the hero. What, what, what if the hero yeah. dies? And, and what does he do? And it basically it's a character study of uh, Lefty Brown and the opinions all the people in his life have of him and what kind of inner strength and, and abilities he has, if any. It's a little overlong, but I just enjoyed the whole thing because it's just... Honestly, I think Bill Pullman deserves a kind of Oscar nod for this, honestly. It's, it's that good of a performance. He takes on the sort of tropes of that sort of character, but he doesn't do it in a way that makes fun of it, or it slides into just outright comedy or anything like that. Like It, it, it both nods to those things, but at the same time, it's very serious. And uh, I really highly enjoyed it. It's, it's one of the few Westerns I've seen in the last few years that is actually been worthwhile watching i think yeah well you kind of have me at bill pullman honestly like mm-hmm. you know bill pullman in a lead role is this sort of sidekick character uh, i mean bill pullman i mean i have this uh, i mean obviously you know space balls and independence day are kind of the two uh mm-hmm. you know like kind of bits i mean space balls from my childhood and independence day from my teenage years but uh you know haven't seen him do a whole lot since then but uh i can uh, well of course zero effect you know which is the, yeah uh, oh and then he the, did he did the sequel to independence day too where he had a big beard. Well, I'm pretending that doesn't exist. 
I'm pretending yeah, a lot idea. of things don't exist these days, but yeah, no, I yeah, that sounds interesting. I might have to check check that out before we uh, we come back together again. It's it's, de- it's definitely worth checking out. Um, I, I I highly enjoyed it. I think it's just cool that the, this idea of like this really kind of neat idea of like let's really examine one of these sort of stock characters and let's put them as the star of the film and let's let's see what they can do. Like let's let's explore what they're all about and. Something that I, I think we'll kind of get into as we discuss stagecoach is the idea that the uh, you know we, we sort of get this idea of you know the western tropes got so um, used and then overused and then reused and then inverted etc that ultimately you know we kind of know the genre so well just culturally that you can kind of take any any character from it and then just like turn the whole thing around that one character and say well what does it look like from this angle which is kind of what we did with High Noon you know mm-hmm. last time was you know you know. Once you once you kind of turn it on its head and say, well, what if you know, what if Will Kane was actually the bad guy? <laughs> you yeah. know? Suddenly the film makes a lot more sense, right? You know, <laughs> yeah, it does. You suddenly get it, you know. And I think the best thing about this is it, it's not a revisionist western. I, I would not call it that. It actually kind of sticks to the sort of classical western tradition of there's well-defined good guys and well-defined bad guys for the most part, and so it's exploring the classic western, but but still sort of staying true to sort of the, the, the ideas and the themes of those sort of classic questions. Yeah. No, I, but, I'm, but of I'm course it's got, looking forward to this. Yeah. But of, of course it's got like a 2017 grittiness to it too. Like, you know, yeah. every, everybody's clothes is dirty. And uh... <laughs> really what I look forward to in, in like the true kind of modern take on a Western is when people have really shitty teeth, what everybody in the movie has, you know, like, yeah missing teeth that's that's when you know you're really like okay now we're really looking at a modern day western (laughs) when you realize nobody had a dentist (laughs) yeah they do they do some of that in um the proposition the the uh, australian western from years Mm -hmm. ago uh, with with the nick cave uh wrote where they just the the flies they're just they, they they focus on how many flies are just swirling around these people all at all times right <laughs> also, also medieval films and then those kinds of you know any, anything anything in the medieval era, oh, like yeah. everybody should just be covered in shit all the time. That's mm-hmm. what, you know, yeah. Even and you know the the aristocracy not usually known for taking baths, so no, they, no. but they might have nice clothes, but that's about where it stops. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, a thing that was kind of showing up on my Twitter a couple of weeks ago, which was uh, you know some bit of writing from. Uh, you know, the 14th century or something where mm-hmm. uh, sort of nobility from uh, England or whatever was worried that the Vikings, you know, that, that the, the Vikings were going to uh, take away all their women because the Vikings had the temerity to bathe. <laughs> <laughs> and they were effectively calling the Vikings sissies for bathing. <laughs> and, but then that meant that the women were more attracted to them. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, well, I mean, there there might be something to that. The Vikings yeah. did did a lot of uh, hey, hey, I'm going to insert myself into your royal b- bloodline and take over your territory for a few generations. <laughs> it's you know, there yeah, might be something yeah. to that. But yeah, I guess I guess we'll take a short break and then we'll be right back with Stagecoach. Hello and welcome to Hello, this is the Doom Show. I'm Richard, and I hate the burning. Shh, who are you? Speak. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Brad. 
she came in and said, bark, bark, bark. <laughs> and he said, bark, bark, bark. And she said, bark, 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 bark. That's what I got. One is the Suspiria boner. The other is the Inferno boner. <laughs> which, anyway. Which one is crying? <laughs> the boner of tears. <laughs> Hello, this is the Doomed Show. Is available on Hello Doomed Show dot podomatic dot com and doomedmoviethon dot com hello hello this is the doom show richard brad jeffrey nava it's the doom show hello hello this is the doom show slashes gi low and horror This is a distress call from across time and space. I am Babs the automated biological support system for the humanoid known as the Witch. Witch vs. the Doomsday Clock is the weekly chronicle of his fight for survival and entertainment on the junk heap of the future. Episodes are transmitted in 15-minute pulses across the dimensional divide weekly for your listening pleasure. As you will learn, the future is not set in stone, and a flux capacitor is a girl's best friend. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, TuneIn, and on your Android device. Come join the rest of the Meat Popsicles in our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash witchvs the doomsday clock. The replicant known as witch can be found on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr and Instagram by searching for T-H-E-W-Y-C-H. The Witch vs. the Doomsday Clock is a proud member of the Legion Podcast Network. Now in the words of Lord Humongous. Just walk away, and there will be an end to the horror. Looking for something different in your podcast library? Then why not check out the podcast Under the Stairs? I'm the host Duncan McLeish and joining me each week will be a special guest as we examine some classic old school horror favourites as well as some modern classics. That's not to say that we don't tackle some of the, let's say, more questionable entries into the horror genre. And if all that wasn't enough, we have a subset of shows called Baz V Horror where our horror novice, The Baz, tackles horror in all shapes and forms to see who will come out victorious. So what are you waiting for? The show can be found at podcastunderthestairs.wordpress.com and on Stitcher and iTunes. The Podcast Under The Stairs is a proud member of Legion Podcast Network. This is Duncan McLeish from Under The Stairs, signing off. You ungodly warlock!
Okay, Stagecoach, 1939. In our streamlined world today, adventure takes wings. Planes scuttle across the country at amazing speed. Man has raced around the Earth in less than four days. Planes roar at 400 miles an hour. Airships, streamlined trains and buses speed thousands to new frontiers. Yet well within the span of our memory, the streamliner of its day, the American Stagecoach, crossed the uncharted, rugged west, bringing new people to a new country. What fascinating stories there were in the life of the Stagecoach, and in the lives of its courageous passengers who found romance in danger and understanding in strange companionships. From the adventures of these American frontier characters, John Ford has created a truly great motion picture. Stagecoach, a drama as forceful and as true as the informer, and as gripping as the hurricane. Did you all hear what the lieutenant said? What are you trying to do, scare somebody? If you'll take my advice, ma'am, you won't take this trip. My husband is with his troops in Dry Fork. If he's in danger, I want to be with him. All right, folks. Hey, Curly, why don't you take the cuffs off the kid? He's mighty handy with the gun. You drive them horses. I'll take care of the kid. The man works all his life to get a hold of some money so that he can enjoy life and has to run into a trap like this. Trap, brother? You mean the Apaches? There's been no sign of them. You don't see any signs of them. They strike like rattlesnakes. You talk too much, Gatewood. Don't fetch so face. Take it easy, Gatewood. We may need that fight before we get to the ferry. You wouldn't be much good in a fight, you jailbird. Oh, leave the kid alone. He's handcuffed. Wouldn't go asking to marry him. Is that wrong for a girl like me? If a man and woman love each other, it's all right, isn't it, Doc? Don't you know that boy's headed back for prison? Besides, if you two go in the Lordsburg together, he's got to know all about you. You didn't answer what I asked you last night. Look, kid, why don't you try to escape? I gotta go to Lordsburg. Why don't you go to my ranch and wait for me? Wait for a dead man.
directed by John Ford, written by Dudley Nichols and Ben Hitched, um, based on a story by Ernest Haycox, I believe. Uh, it is starring Claire Trevor as Dallas, John Wayne as Henry the Ringo Kid, Thomas Mitchell as Doc Boone, Andy Devine as Buck, John Carradine as Hatfield, George Bancroft as Marshall Curly Wilcox, Louise Platt as Lucy Mallory, Donald Meek as Samuel Peacock, Burton Churchill as Henry Gatewood, Tom Holt as Lieutenant Blanchard, and Tom Tyler as Luke Plummer. Did you have a synopsis that you had on hand? I do not. I'm sorry. Okay, well, I got one right here. Uh, The American West, late 1800s, a stagecoach sets off across an untamed wilderness, carrying a mixed assortment of characters, an infamous outlaw, a drunk doctor, a prostitute, a whiskey salesman, the wife of an army officer, a gambler, a bank manager, the local marshal, and the driver. Animosities and petty differences and unexpected friendships surface. Their fortunes take a turn for the worse when they learn that an Apache raiding party led by Geronimo is in their vicinity. So that was a uh, IMDb synopsis from Grant. Uh, well, I, I guess it's Grant's. I don't want to say Grant SS because that has a weird connotation. <laughs> <laughs> it's Grant's S. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That. There, there we go. Uh, that works. But, uh, yeah, when was the uh, first time you watched this one, Daniel? And what are your sort of initial kind of thoughts on it? I, again, this is one where I don't remember exactly when I first saw it. It might have been about 10 years ago. Around the same time I saw uh, High Noon, 310 to Yuma. I was watching a lot of Westerns around that time. Um, right it wasn't too much earlier than that. Um, I think I actually watched it. Um, this one, uh, I think there was a free version on the Internet Archive, and I might have watched it that way. Um, sounds, sounds, sounds right. Yeah, at that point. I love this film. A lot of these kind of old movies, you know, you, you watch, especially, I mean, this is nearly 80 years old at this point, yeah. you know? A lot of these old movies you kind of watch, and as much as you enjoy them, they, they feel a little bit like homework, you know? Mm-hmm. This one, I think, just kind of really gives you the sense of who these kind of people are. And uh, I think it's actually better if you don't, like, sort of think of this as a John Wayne movie, you know? Because, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, we could, we could talk about the... Um, the history here, but uh, John Wayne was, he was this kind of no-name actor at this point, um, and John Ford had, had uh, he'd done a bunch of westerns in the uh, silent era, but really hadn't done anything for, you know, 10 or 12 years. Right. And uh, the western was kind of, I mean, not really on its way out, but definitely not, like, kind of the big thing at this point. Like, these kind of, they did a bunch of B-westerns, but they really didn't do big-budget westerns at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, John Ford kind of convinced the studio, like, you know, I want to do this big movie, and I've got this, this kid that I want you know, who was 40 years old at this point, who I want to kind of make the lead, you know, and uh, it it made both of their careers. I mean, and then uh, they ended up doing, uh, you know, like 20 more movies together or something like Mm -hmm. that, you know, Um, a bunch of Westerns in Monument Valley, reinvigorate the whole thing for 30 or 40 more years, uh, which is kind of amazing that this one film is that influential. But even without the history of it, I mean, just... John Wayne. I mean, I'm not. I'm not the hugest. Um, just as just as kind of a person. Uh, I don't. I don't always love him in films. Here, he's such a warm, inviting presence in a way that he he, he got a little bit more of the cranky uh, the later years. Um, if you look at like True Grit, uh, you know, you know, you kind of think of him as slightly, um, a slightly more ambiguous character. Whereas here, I think he's he's this very warm, comforting, kind of charming figure, and this figure who's, who's uh, you really get the relationship between himself and uh, Dallas, Claire Trevor, mm-hmm. uh, who I think is just, just delightful in the film. 
Um, I love the uh, the way that the characters are paired together. I love that there's a there's a kind of high and low element to this. You know, um, all these characters are kind of trapped on the stagecoach. You have a bank manager, and then you have you know <laughs> a prostitute sitting right next yeah. to him, and uh, then you got Johnny Ringo, who's the uh, the felon. Um, you've got the uh, and he's paired with this like kind of wealthy confederate. Yeah, John Kerry, uh, the whiskey drummer, and then the drunk. Um, who, mm-hmm. I mean, there are just so many characters, and there's such a sense of like these relationships that are built while they're all kind of traveling together through this dangerous territory. And uh, we could definitely talk about the, sort of uh, the way the Native Americans and the way that the mm-hmm. uh, the sort of the Mexican characters are, are portrayed. And I think there's a lot to talk about there. You know, it's it's period racism. Let's not you know beat around the yeah. bush about that. But I think the film is is just absolutely a, a triumph of the genre and a triumph of just cinema. Uh, as a whole, um, I love this film almost uh, beginning to end. Um, I think it, it really does exactly what you want a film like this to do. Again, it's rightly seen as a classic, but don't let the sort of the classic designation throw you. It's it's really worth a watch regardless. Um, I'm I'm in total agreement here. Uh, tonight was the first time I watched it. Couldn't take my eyes off it. I was really really impressed with it. Yeah, this is this is John Wayne's 80th film, if you can believe that. Like that's that's including like actual features and shorts and shit like that, right? But this is his 80th film <laughs> at this point, <laughs> which is fucking nuts. Like that that's fucking crazy. Um, he had started in a silent era like 20 years earlier, and he had done. I mean, just at the time, I mean, you know, the the silent westerns. I mean, they were shot in a few days, and you know, it was basically just like do a couple of stunts, you know, throw a gun around, and then boom, movie's over, you know. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and Ford had directed, I think, like 30 or 40 films by this point. He had. Um, um, no, actually, he had done over 60. There, yeah. the, there was a bunch of feature length, and he had done shorts as well. And only uh, only about 10 of those actually survived from the silent yeah, era. Yeah. Like, a lot of them just yeah. disappeared, right? But, yeah, th- these were guys who had been working a long time. And they'd even worked together before this uh, on a couple things. But yeah. this is the first time Wayne was... Well, and in fact, John Wayne had been trying to get Ford to put him in a, in a movie... Mm-hmm. Like, cause he, he really knew that Ford was going to be his, like his ticket to the big leagues and Ford was kind of keeping him in reserve until he yeah. had the right project. And I mean, it absolutely worked for his career overall. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. I, I think, I think, I mean, no, no less an authority than Martin Scorsese considers the shot of like that push in shot of like John Wayne. When right. first see him. It's one of the greatest shots in all of cinema. And I absolutely, I mean, that's a, it's such a great little moment. In the, oh yeah. Oh, he makes, he makes John Wayne ahead. a fucking giant in this film. At one point, like near the end there where um, he's going in for that uh, gunfight with those brothers that have been gunning for him. He shoots up at John Wayne uh, POV style. And John Wayne just looks like seven feet fucking tall right there, right? And it's like, there, there's no uh, allusion to the fact that uh, Ford was definitely, I'm making you a fucking star in this film. I'm, I'm, I'm putting the camera on you at all times that I can and just make you fucking uh, look the best possible you can. And But at the same time, I think just about every character here, except for maybe the whiskey salesman, they all sort of get their sort of due screen time, right? Like every, everybody yeah. sort of has their moments in this film. I mean, there's a few characters that are more crucial, like the, the doctor and the, and the uh, sheriff are probably the primary leads next to John Wayne, as far as uh, the male side of things go. But everybody sort of gets their moments in this. Like you, you get yeah, a yeah. well-defined sense of every. It's, it's a true, it's a true ensemble piece. Uh-huh. I mean, this is the, the whole idea is, you know, you've got this bunch of people who are all kind of from different points of life, different different walks of life, who uh, are kind of trapped together in this kind of treacherous environment, 
who have to learn to depend on each other. It is sort of this, it is sort of that story of, uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a microcosm of society really. Like it's, it's, it's a, it's a brilliant idea. Let's stick all, of, all of these different facets of society. Let's stick them all in a, a stagecoach together, like a little cabin in, in a stagecoach together. And uh, all that stuff shot on, shot on studio. You actually have a roof. Like it's an actual, it's an actual stagecoach cabin. So unlike a lot of the way uh, most movies are shot where the sets don't have roofs at all, like there's no ceiling, you actually see the ceiling in the cabin. So it even makes it more claustrophobic with all these people pinned together. So they, they all have to coexist somehow together in, the, in this thing. And yeah. And, and I mean, it looks like this cramped environment. In fact, uh, John Wayne spends, you know, much of the movie just sitting in the floor of the stagecoach, mm-hmm. just in between everybody. You, you just, you gotta love that. Uh, I mean, these kinds of cramped interiors, you can definitely, they get repetitive in a lot of movies where you're just kind of like, oh, you're just looking at the same four people, you know, staring at yeah, each yeah. other. But uh, Ford makes the best of it. You know, Monument Valley, I mean, even in black and white, Monument Valley is gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Um, and particularly, um, I watched the, I don't know which version of this film you watched, but um, the version is on Amazon. Yeah, is the Criterion uh print this is a cleaned up print um and again it does look uh, it does look phenomenal so if you do have the to check out that print that's the that's the one to watch because there are some um old ones that were on uh i think the one that's on um the internet archive and uh some of the some of the free ones you just kind of find on youtube do not Mm -hmm. look quite as good um and this is definitely one that is worth it is worth you know paying the two bucks or whatever to, to actually see it like a good version of it if you yeah. uh, have that opportunity and still it is kind of a dirty print even the criterion one because yeah. there 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 is no there's no master of this yeah i think anywhere. i think um most of the dirt in the in the thing is actually in the kind of the opening credit sequence mm-hmm. and i wonder if to some degree they kind of left it that way on purpose you know where Why they not? could have cleaned it up a little bit more there there is a sense in which i think just the history of it like you know because once you get past that first you know kind of opening credit sequence it looks pretty good uh, except yeah. for just a couple of shots here and there and uh so so i do i do wonder sometimes if they if there is a sort of uh, deliberateness to uh yeah let's leave a little bit of the grain in uh you know here at the well, beginning, yeah. just to like let people know what I, I, you know, I the provenance of this, you know. Criterion knows what they're fucking doing. Like they know how to curate yeah. their fucking films and they know how to present them. So you might be right on that. This is the first Ford excursion in the Monument Valley, and he sort of fell in love with it because he realized, hey, if I do this out here, the studio is going to fuck off and leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> right, so, right. So that's great. And I mean, again, uh, going back to the previous episode, I'd say you see the sort of DNA for the Leone stuff here. Like you can tell, you can tell how much he just fucking eyeballed this fucking film as well. Right. It's just, well, if you, if you want to talk, if you want to talk history, uh, I mean, citizen Wells, the uh, biography of Orson Wells, um, I haven't found this anywhere else, but I did read that biography uh, again, many years ago. It's well known. It's kind of well uh, reported that uh, Orson Wells watched this film a bunch Mm-hmm. Uh, when he was prepping, when he was learning, basically he was learning how to direct by watching Stagecoach. Yeah. It's not just that. He was learning how to direct and edit. He had a moviola and he was editing, re-editing Stagecoach like, <laughs> on his moviola and like cutting different shots together. And then, so he learned how to direct and edit by basically playing around with the print of Stagecoach for, you know, a couple of months. It, it makes and sense because... You totally believe that. I mean, it oh, is, yeah. you know. I mean, this is a, this is an incredibly tightly edited film. Like, it, you can see you can see 
the fact that, yeah, Ford had been working a while because this has been the work of a guy who knows what he's doing. There's nothing, I don't think there's anything excessive in this at all. Like everything feels like it has its place. Everything seems to run the time it should run. All the shots I think are pretty good. It's it's very professional. It's it's, it's very, it moves the story along. There's no, I, I didn't find any slow moments in this at all. Like, yeah, no, and uh, well, it's interesting, again, kind of watching, I think you only watched it once in preparation yeah. for this, but kind of rewatching it, one of the things that Ford kind of gets known for is, like, there, there's kind of deft character work and sort of the, the corners of frames, and a lot of times they're in these sort of, like, very, things that aren't said and things that are said and, and sort of sort of detailed work and uh, sometimes very short little shots of, of just a few seconds where you really kind of get a, a sense of these characters. And uh, particularly re-watching it, you really get um, particularly the, uh, the the character of the uh, the Doctor, Thomas Mitchell, mm-hmm. as Doc Boone. I really... I really love that performance. Um, it's one of he's one of he's he he might actually be my favorite character in the film um, because at first you kind of think he's just the drunk, right? You know, mm-hmm. and then he kind of gets just the baby kind of halfway through the film, and um, he kind of sobers up, and then he came because you know why yeah. not? Like he's still that guy, right? You know, yeah, delivered a baby. Like in a lesser film, he would just kind of be like, and now I'm sober and I'm going to be you know fine. But no, he's like I, I still like whiskey. It's fine, you know. I yeah. delivered a baby. Go fuck yourself, you know? But I love the moment he has uh, at the beginning. And this reminds me a little bit of um, the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. Mm-hmm. Or the Apocalypse. The, uh, Four for the Apocalypse, uh, yep. Fulci yeah. film. The Fulci film, which we uh, which we talked about last year. But um, at the beginning, you know, the uh, Claire Trevor's Dallas. She's uh, getting kicked out of town. And uh, the doc, he's he, he basically is like... Uh, yeah, let's uh, we're the drug society. Let's uh, let's make our way with our head held high. There is this we down us, but you know, really much better pause. They're looking down on us for things that like they're fucking bullshit, moralistic shitheads. You know what I mean? And I love that moment. I love that. I love that character bit. And uh, it's in '39. It's it's particularly. I mean, it's almost a radical move to have the prostitute is sort of the lead and the sort of moral paragon, you know, yeah. when I felt like this. It kind of speaks to, to 1939 as well, that uh, Prohibition had only ended a few years earlier, so everybody watching this film would have remembered, you know, when you couldn't buy alcohol at September. Right. That would have been kind of kind of on people's minds, certainly. It, it, it's interesting, you know, kind of rewatching it again, kind of thinking about the way that this, uh, you know, now we just kind of look back on it as a, a Western that's sort of, uh, you know, kind of part of that genre and kind of reinvented the genre and uh becomes one of the great classics also at the time you know we can look at it as a portrait of what 1939 was trying to say about their own history you know Mm -hmm. um i mean this is the same year that a gun with the wind was released and certainly the sort of confederate tinges that you get from this and the sort of the the arguments that they're having about like what the war between the states what the war meant you know are certainly i mean certainly that's that that has sort of modern connotations as well but um, even in '39, they're 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 kind of having this is sort of the beginning of the lost cause um, kind of mythology, and yeah. so the, the sort of noble Confederate and uh, you know Ford isn't having any <laughs> isn't having any of that. He doesn't he does not see this guy as a as a moral figure. You know the mm-hmm. uh, the uh, Confederate. Um, what's his name? Uh, uh, John Carradine is uh, Hitchcock. Hatfield. Or Hatfield, yeah, Hatfield. There we Hatfield, go. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and uh, I mean, it's it's interesting to see John Carradine so young, like because uh, I'm more familiar with a lot of his later movies where he's you know old and <laughs> just doing like B parts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
but um, at the same time, he still gives the character like uh, a little bit of a moral redemption at the end. Anyways, you know, the guy was willing to waste his last bullet to the spare the uh, the woman possibly being you know like raped and yeah. made a prisoner. You know, yeah, no, definitely. I mean, there, there, and that's a dark moment in the film, mm-hmm. right? You know, when he's. I mean, again, particularly in, th- I mean, even today, we, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty dark well, thing to do. Well, yeah, in 30, 39, when, when they get to the sort of climatic chase where the, where the Apaches are, are chasing the stagecoach, shit gets really dark there for a little while because before then there's, you know, there's the story, the characters all are interacting, they're talking, they have their back and forth. And there's all these little comedic moments spread through from some of the characters. But then you get to that chase. The whiskey salesman takes an arrow in the, the shoulder or whatever, and he, he's got blood spurting out. Like, okay, <laughs> shit just got real. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it is uh, it does kind of fit that pattern where, you know, they're saving the, the big action sequence for the end. You know, you kind of get this one big action sequence. And, uh, you know, this is probably, I mean, I uh, this, is, this is something that this isn't original to me at all, but... Uh, Probably the best uh, action, the best uh, stunt work up until Raiders of the Lost Ark, almost 40 years later. Uh, uh, there's the, some the... really phenomenal work done here, uh, particularly, you know, for the time period. A couple of shots are actually, you know, the uh, the guy who uh, falls off the horses and then goes underneath the uh, the carriage yeah. the stagecoach. Um, that's lifted right. I mean, Raiders of the Lost Ark lifts from that and then improves on it based mm-hmm. on what they could then do in the seventies. Yeah, I, I don't have the that. guy. I don't have the guy's name, but he was like a rodeo guy who lived to like ninety or ninety-one, like died in eighty-six or something like that. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, he did this. He did Ben Hur as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, at the time, that was just really like uh, you know really intense thing to have to shoot to get to shoot. This would have been incredibly aggressive, incredibly intricate uh, for audiences at the time. Really, kind of a high wire act. And I mean, when you look at, they're they're not doing this with CGI. They don't even yeah. have even the safety stuff that you would kind of think is standard. You know, just a few years later, um, was not present at this point. If, oh yeah, if no, you see no. people jumping from horses to carriages and stuff yeah. like that was actually being done, basically as you see it. You know. Yeah, John John Wayne's stunt double there actually jumping off the stagecoach to the horses to you know get the to get to the lead horse and and or the lead pair of horses and, and get them to move faster or whatever and like I, I guess retether them or something like that I think it was but yeah the the guy who did that that's fucking nuts like <laughs> uh, but uh, there I did read something on the uh, stunt work in that sequence they had some sort of device you'll notice when they're when they're shooting at the Apaches, they're shooting the horses, right, to to, yeah. to stop them. You'll notice the horse and the guy on the horse, they, they drop at the same time. A lot of horses, uh, you'll see, like, pairs of horses drop at the same time. They yeah. had some sort of weird harness device that was commonly used in movies around this time that would basically, it, it basically just trips the horses, like, trips them right, right from <laughs> under. So, apparently, several horses, either their legs were broken or they were injured so bad that a lot of them just had to be put down. <laughs> and that's, again, this is before the ASPCA had anything to yeah. say about this stuff. <laughs> you know, still, uh, it, it is a great sequence. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, we, and we, I guess we should start talking about it, uh, the way the, the Native Americans are depicted in this. I, I will give them at least some credit that they actually used real Indians instead of a bunch of fucking white guys with dark paint on their faces, you know? <laughs> well, to be to be fair, like our the one... Uh, uh, Probably the one character we get a little bit of a look at, uh, Yakima, the Apache wife of Chris, uh, is Elvira Rios, who, yes. again, uh, 
I mean, fucking gorgeous, right? She she was a Mexican. She was not Native American mm-hmm. in the slightest. And uh, indeed, in the the, uh, the innkeeper uh, is uh, is a uh, Mexican guy. But uh, yeah, no, uh, it it is uh, there. There is a little bit more of a sense of at least there's are these are people uh, of uh, some kind of non-white and not like Italians with with slight darkening makeup on, as as you saw, you know the western i mean they basically just put like some vaguely ethnic looking person yeah i mean put some feathers on on their head and go like look you're a native american now you know yeah. i mean i i wouldn't say i wouldn't say ford was being overtly racist it was it was more of a kind of uh insensitivity of the time to that sort of thing yeah, yeah, no, you know? i mean even even uh 15 years later 17 years later the searchers is even worse than this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, at least here, it's just sort of the Native Americans are uh, are just sort of the external threat, and that's just what the genre did. And yeah. uh, I mean, it is. Yeah. It is. I mean, look, I'm not going to defend that. I mean, in a in a sort of historical sense. I mean, it well, really, I really, mean, you know, we're, I mean, we're supposed to think it's like a great thing when like the cavalry arrives and suddenly, you know, but one of these groups is an imperial force invading the lands of the other that's yeah. that's the thing that it, it is true to history that the indians did attack people and, and, yeah. and kill people right but this this movie does sort of uh skip the fact that it was the white people first who came and started attacking them right so right right so that that is that is whitewashed over a little bit but i mean this i mean it's sort of true to life that the uh the people in the stagecoach didn't have any like they're not they don't have anything to say about the imperial ambitions of the american government for instance you know they're just i'm trying to get from one place to the other i'm trying to go to where my home is etc maybe so so Maybe. Well, the banker, man, that dude, what an asshole, right? <laughs> well, I, I love, I love the initial shot, right, where, uh, where it's fucking, um, oh geez, I had the quote here too. Where is it? <laughs> oh yeah, here it goes. They do the zoom in shot too for the banker, like they do for John Wayne later on in the film. So you, a lot of these characters get these sort of really, really good, like little shot just to establish who they are, basically. And the banker goes. What's good for the banks is good for the country, and 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 this guy's well, embezzling from the bank. That <laughs> well, and, and, and again in nineteen thirty nine, like at the tail end of the Great Depression, let's yeah. just you know, audiences would have gone, "Oh, what a fucking asshole!" Right? Exactly. There's no. And again, the, the film guy. takes place in I think eighteen eighty or eighteen eighty one, something like that. No, eighteen eighty. Oh, 1880? Okay, July 1880, I think. Well, Wikipedia says 1880, and I think there is a like a title card at the beginning. Um, yeah. Which is a very particular kind of moment, and there was a financial panic in 1873, as there was like every few years up until like we actually instituted financial regulation yeah. post, post the Great Depression. Gee, you wonder how that worked, you know? Yeah, go figure. Um, now you're trying to knock them all down again. It's like, great. Um, and this is the place to get into, you know, sort of, sort of the uh, how the how the gold standard and the, uh, the fiat currency worked. Uh, every few years, ever since the the beginning of the United States, we had had uh, financial panics every few years, yeah. as uh, you know, the banking system was not regulated at that point <laughs> up mm. until after the uh, after World War II, um, or at least after the Great Depression. So I think that's something that even you know it isn't it isn't even necessarily the people in 1939 sort of looking back at 1880 through 1939 as i mean that would have been sort of on people's mind even in 1880 i think um but there is this sort of even there they're kind of looking back to the past and kind of finding echoes you know and i think Mm -hmm. that that's another element of the film i mean you know whenever you look at kind of historical dramas particularly films like this i mean westerns which 
you know, the more you look at Westerns, the more you realize that it's really, they're using this sort of the, the genre furniture. They're using the sort of the starkness of the, you can kind of do these morality plays that are really about the time in which they're made. And I think that that's sort of the, the interesting way to look, look, to look at these, you know, the Westerns in particular are never really about the West. They're about the people who made, you know, the, the the film and uh i think stagecoach is definitely one of those even though it does feel sort of of the moment of the you know it doesn't feel like this kind of overtly kind of political statement necessarily not certainly not in the way that some of the later stuff is not in the way that i mean high noon and three to yuma both feel you know kind of politically motivated at least right. to some degree uh, much more than this this feels kind of like a a fun little you know kind of genre romp um but there's definitely a uh, a kind of look at it's people in 1939 telling the story of american history from 1880 yeah. and i mean they're definitely kind of looking at you know kind of the things that they're going through at that point and i think the banker character is the the clearest example of that um and of course um dallas i mean uh i mean i kind of mentioned this earlier i mean she's one of my favorite characters. I mean, really the thing that I kind of like first latched onto when I first saw the film oh, is how I, yeah. sympathetically she's treated. I, I love, I love the degree. I mean, John Wayne, I mean, like, look, especially when you think about it, I mean, we know in real life, his politics were pretty atrociously right wing, but to see him in his uh, kind of very first kind of big starring role to being someone who is uh, you know, basically defending the honor of a, uh, of a lady of the night and uh and, and being a very sort of uh, progressive guy is definitely one of those things that i just like to see i think it's a little fun thing and I, uh I, I like the line that they that she has where you know she's you don't know anything about me and he's like i know enough or basically i know i know what i what i want to know you know basically it's like I, I accept you for who you actually are you know yeah and i and i think that i mean certainly this is kind of one of those character bits um that you know kind of comes across maybe in performance more so than in the script but I mean, I think he knows exactly what's going on. Like, I don't, I don't think there's any um, secret about like who this one yeah. is. You know, they're not talking about it, but I mean, I think you know he's not blind. Well, man, talking about just uh, the way Ford would shoot people, and 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 have these good character moments that you know there is just a shot that's a few seconds or whatever, and maybe nothing's even said after the baby is born, and they have that little exchange of shots of glances between the two of them across the room, like while they're standing in the hallway, they're on either side of the hallway or whatever, entering the room and he's looking at her and then she's looking back at him and stuff like there's so much said in that actual shot that isn't said in dialogue, but you, you totally get, yeah, she's totally into him. He's totally into her. And he sees just all the good things about her right in that moment where she comes out with a baby. And I think it's like, just really, it's the kind of filmmaking. I think maybe a lot of people don't expect from 1939. Like they just kind of think, Oh yeah, everyone's exaggerating their performances and all this shit. But this is like real subtle shit that, that John Ford's putting on screen here. And it's really great performances. Expecting the actors to be able to sell that as well. I think is an important uh, aspect to that. You know, it's it's not it's not just shooting people and kind of putting it together and editing, but like how sort of getting the actors to sort of do that in the performance as well. And this is something right. he's going to do throughout his career is really trust the actors and, and kind of give them those little moments. Um, it's amazing that this existed before we had. I mean, you know, <laughs> you know, a film like this would have been seen once you know, by, mm-hmm. by the majority of its audience. Like, you know, there wasn't a sense of, oh, we're going to rewatch things on DVD or whatever. Like, it's all, yeah. uh, you know, you would have seen it in a theater you know, one time. Maybe, you know, it gets, you get it, you do a review, you know, a few years later or something like that. I mean, the, 
you know, but but certainly not. You kind of like really or something, and so the very very small percentage of the audience would have really uh, caught on to it. Right, um, it's something that's that's there in the film, and uh, it obviously meant something to Ford because he did it over and over again throughout um, mm-hmm. so many of his films. And it's it is fun that this this stuff really ex- sort of establishes the John Wayne kind of character, like the John Wayne everybody knows before he'd go on, you know, 10, 15, 20 years later and almost become a, just, just a caricature of himself, right? Here's the real fucking deal performances, the the real meaty performances that really kind yeah. of establish the, the caliber of actor he is. And I mean, again, I'll fully sit right next to you and say, yeah, John Wayne's a shithead. I'm, I'm not a big fan of a lot of his later performances, but I mean, here, this is just really natural excellent fucking acting from him like he does a stellar fucking job and he doesn't do a lot like it's very minimalist i mean i think even ford was kind of berating him and stuff he he used that as a method to try to get performances out of people on set you know berate people and he was basically just telling wayne to act with his eyes don't say shit just fucking act with your eyes don't move your fucking mouth you know just 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 get this nice little naturalistic performance and he does get a really really great performance out of wayne in this well, I think that Wayne's best performances are, are in Ford films, uh-huh. and Ford's best films are those with John Wayne in them. I mean, it, it's interesting how the two really disagreed on on so many issues. They were, they, I mean, they were politically on this complete opposite ends of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. And I think that that um, that tension plays in their uh, in their best work together. You know, The Searchers is, I think, a film that neither you or I have any particular love for no. <laughs> for a variety of reasons. Ford's making one film and Wayne's making another. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's not really a play necessarily in the stagecoach because like, Wayne didn't have any particular... I mean, really, neither one of them had a, uh, you know, sort of... So they weren't the giants that they would... What it is, it's just sort of... It's much simpler than some of the more... Uh, more thematic, complicated stuff they're going to do later on. All right, so I think we're both in agreement that this is a, both a classic and a classic you should actually watch. It's it's kind of required viewing, I think, if you're a fan of the Western genre. I mean, this is where a lot of this shit starts. So right. I mean, and even and even if you're not a huge Western fan, I think this is. I mean, this is just for historical importance of nothing else. This is worth seeing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but also I think this is one that could convert people who aren't necessarily Western fans to like, yeah, oh, yeah, this one is actually worth seeing. Yeah, because um, it isn't like the B pictures that came before it. It's actually kind of gritty, and there there is some serious stuff in it as well. Like it, it, it has some meat to it, and it's got great performances. Yeah, and it's mostly like character work. I mean, the, the I mean, it's almost like a bunch of people in a room talking. You know, <laughs> like it's almost exactly, a character yeah. drama. You know. Uh, so we'll go over a couple things here. Budget was five hundred and thirty-one thousand three hundred and seventy-four dollars. That's a pretty precise fucking uh, figure there. Box office, and this is legit box office for nineteen thirty-nine. One point one million dollars. So that that tells you something. Uh, <laughs> how fucking good this movie is, and how many people saw it. There was a nineteen sixty-six remake with Anne Margaret Van Helfen and Bing Crosby of all people. Uh, yeah, I, I I found that on my on my research for this, and I'm like, well, we should cover that if nothing else for Anne Margaret. You know? uh, that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking we should actually cover this at some point. And there was also a 1986 television version with Chris Christopherson, Willie Nelson, and Johnny Cash. We might not maybe cover for that episode one. 200. Maybe for episode yeah, 200, we'll do that. episode 200 for that motherfucker. Yeah. DVD info on this. Uh, there's a Warner one disc DVD from 1997. Then they did a special edition two disc in 2005. But of course. 
the one to look for is the Criterion Blu-ray from 2010. That's uh, that's basically your best possible one to go for here. Shout Factory has the uh, streaming rights for it, so if you are an mm-hmm. Amazon member, you can uh, get the the Shout Factory uh, like little addendum, the little channel. Right, three dollars a month, and you can watch this as many times as you like. <laughs> and actually, you actually, you don't even have to pay. You can get it for free because if you go over to Shout Factory TV, forget fucking Amazon. You can just get it for free. Oh well, so, or you could do that. Yeah, <laughs> or again, probably Internet Archive, and there's shitty versions on YouTube if you so desire to yeah. uh, do it that way. Right. I will mention uh, a neat trivia thing that I liked uh, about this is that John Wayne, the hat he wears in this, he would wear that in many westerns for the next two decades before retiring it in Rio Bravo in 1959 because it was simply falling apart after that. <laughs> but but uh, I, I think that's kind of cool. He wore the same hat for 20 years. Good job, John Wayne. Yeah, and uh, a lot of people sort of credit Stagecoach as the movie that basically takes the Western out of the B-movie realm and into like an A-movie production kind of thing. But uh, a lot of people also credit several other movies that sort of came in this year. So this is kind of like the pivotal year that took the Western really big. There's Union Pacific, Jesse James, Dodge City, and Stand Up and Fight apparently are all significant as well uh, again we should probably look these ones up at some point as well and do them but this, this is a this is a great film and uh that's all i have to say about it <laughs> yeah no we, we've had uh i don't know i don't know what's going to come across in the uh for the audience but we had some technical problems in uh, recording right. this one so hopefully, uh, hopefully this uh kind of comes out okay if it's if it feels a little abbreviated that's not based on the film or our enthusiasm for it it's just based on uh my shitty internet tonight but um yeah yeah. check this out claire trevor um it's Mm -hmm. lovely john wayne wonderful i mean the whole film is just it's again it's it's definitely worth a watch right um so daniel tell people where they can find you on the internet just go find me on twitter at daniel lee harper um everything that i do kind of goes through there uh there is a, a podcast that is a sort of occasionally updated uh, wrong with authority what to do with my uh, british friends all of whom have been on this podcast before mm-hmm. uh, where we talk about movies about history and the history they're about um and then we have a couple of the threads we're doing a uh, a thread called consider the reagan where we're mm-hmm. doing uh live commentaries on films from the reagan presidency and we are taking that Strictly between January twentieth, nineteen eighty one, to January twentieth, nineteen eighty nine. But uh, we did a uh, we've only done one episode of that so far. But we did Back to the Future, so you can go mm-hmm. listen to me and uh, uh, Jack and Kit talk about Back to the Future as a live commentary. Um, and I'm sure Lee will put the uh, the link in the show notes. And uh, that was a fun conversation. That's definitely worth listening to. There's a there's a lot of fun we had there talking about how Jack did not was not feeling Back to the Future on a rewatch. <laughs> so. Out. It was fun. Jack's British. He has weird tastes. That's all right. <laughs> but well, uh, Jack forgot how much of the film was the sort of romantic subplot, and yeah, he just wasn't feeling that at all. Michael <laughs> J. Fox and his, and his mother. Yeah, that. Right. Was, well, the, even well, even that was fine. I mean, not. I mean, it was at least interesting. But he was just like, my God, this whole movie is about like this romantic subplot. He had just forgotten that element of the film was you know like forty five minutes of the overall story. You know. This this film predicted incest porn. <laughs> this is basically what it did. <laughs> uh, although we, we talked quite a bit about that, so go check out the the, the commentary. Yeah, yeah. 
but you can find us at tmbdos.podbean.com where you can find all of our links to all the great stuff that we do. And, um, I mean, if you want to subscribe to us on iTunes and give us a review, that'd be great. No pressure. Uh, but if you do, please let me know so I can actually boot up fucking iTunes, which I rarely ever fucking do. And I'll actually check out your review and shout you out on the fucking podcast if you do that. But also, this is going to be the last episode of this year. Uh, we cannot record next weekend because I am just booked up the yin-yang for work at the back end of the week. So uh, we're not going to be recording next weekend. Our first episode of the new year will be Bad Day at Blackrock. And uh, so look forward to that. But I'll say to all of our listeners and all the people who sort of support our podcast, uh, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year's. Uh, be good to each other. Good fortune. Good health in the new year. And uh, thank you for listening. Uh, we really do appreciate the support you guys give us. So uh, uh, so look forward to Bad Day of Black Rock. And I think right after that will probably be our best of the year episode where we just uh, talk about the best stuff we watched in 2017. And I may, um, I'm kind of thinking I'll put it out there on the Facebook group. If people want to submit their lists, that'd be great. We could read those on the podcast as well. So uh, I'll, I'll work on that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, but uh, this this was a fun. Thanks a lot for listening. This it's been. This is twenty seventeen has not been as busy as twenty sixteen was in terms of our, our uh, releases, but that's not uh, based on a lack of enjoyment mm-hmm. of getting the comments and such. That's purely based on our like personal schedules. So yeah, yeah we 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 really do appreciate you guys sticking with us, especially even through the the times where it like goes weeks without a fucking episode. It's just been, you know, personal life. Uh, even uh, like Daniel legit actually has a life. Uh, I have no life yet. Still, I have a weird schedule where sometimes it's shit doesn't happen, which is beyond bizarre, but that's the way it is. So yeah. Uh, thank you, Daniel. And uh, thank you everybody for listening. And we will see you guys in the new year. Cheers. Thanks a lot. I made up my mind to change my way. And quit my crowd that was so gay And leave the girl who promised me her hand And head down south to the Rio Grande T'was in the spring of 53 When A.J. Stinson hired me Said young feller, I want you to go and drive this herd down to Mexico. Oh, it was a long and a toilsome go as we rolled on to Mexico with laughter light and cowboy song to Mexico as we rolled along when I arrived in that distant land I wanted to see my love but I could not stand so I wrote a letter to my dear, but not a word.
when I returned to my native land. They said she'd married a richer man. They said she'd married a richer life. Therefore, while cowboys seek another wife, Let's curse your gold and your silver too. Confound the girls who won't prove true. I'll head out west where the bullets fly and stay on the trail till the day I die. <laughs> Thank you for listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Sight. For past episodes and links to our iTunes, YouTube, and Facebook group, please visit us at tmbdos.podbean.com. There you can also find links to other podcasts and websites of similar interest. If you subscribe to us on iTunes, please consider giving us a five-star rating and a review. Please join our Facebook group, as it's the single best place to get in contact with the hosts and to know what's coming up on the podcast. Thank you. Drive through.